0: I once read a body of work from a retired US Army Lieutenant Colonel named Dave Grossman. He's an author of several books. He was a professor at the United States Military Academy in West Point. And he writes on the psychology or the psychological effects of violence for people who are often forced to kill in their line of duty. And his research is focused on the professions you might think soldiers, and police officers. And in his work, he describes the world as being comprised of three kinds of people. First is what he calls the sheep. And he doesn't talk about sheep in any kind of insulting or to express contempt or disapproval. He's really saying they're sheep because they live their life in peace and they're kind and they want to go to work and feed their families. And they will perfectly happy letting somebody else protect their space when they can't. The second kind of person he talks about are the wolves. They're the bad guys. And that's less than 1% of the population. But they can wreak havoc when they appear. And the third piece of the population he talks about are called the sheepdogs. They're otherwise known as guardian dogs. They live with their flock, they blend in, you don't always see them, and they watch for the intruders. And they recognize that sometimes just their very presence is enough to keep the wolves at bay. But every now and then, if they have to, they will do what Grossman describes. They will have to kill one or two so that many may stay alive. And these guard dogs generally have three qualities, trustworthiness, attentiveness, and protectiveness. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia. And this introduction leads us to this evening's guests. And what I talk about is this evening's guest, Life's Purpose, which is... My life's purpose is to protect the sheep from the wolves. Welcome, Matt Miraglia, to the show. Matt, it's great to have you it's here. It's a pleasure, Chuck. I'm so happy to be here. I made this introduction because when I met you several years ago, I don't think you had to say that. You just were that. Where did that come from?
1: There's no way for me to really pinpoint it. I can look back now and I can give you examples and life experiences, but everything that that has occurred in my life from early childhood, I would even say as young as age 10 to present day, has led me uh, to be living my life's purpose, and that is of protector.
0: But where did that come from? As a young age, you thought, What?
1: It's, it's hard to know. I knew at age 10, I was at a, a parade with my parents and there was a policeman on the corner. And like every child, I was, you know, uh, curious and I wanted to go over and meet the policeman. And I went and shook his hand. And I remember I was, you know, and, and it was from that day on, I said, you know, I'm going to be a police officer when I grow up. And, you know, that's, you know, when we're children, we think, oh, we're going to, we're going to be a truck driver, a police officer, whatever it is we think we're going to be. And it never changed uh, through you know, elementary school, middle school, and even into high school, I knew that one day I would be a police officer, and uh, that's what I ended up doing as uh, part of my life's journey.
0: And where were you a police officer, and what what aspect of policing did you do?
1: So I, I had a very unique police career. I, um, you know, after I got out of the Marines, I ended up joining the police force uh, first in the District of Columbia, in Washington D.C. Uh, I was later. Um, led to kind of come up here to the New York City area, and I retired out of Westchester County, New York. Um, I retired in 2012. I was a detective, and my last few years on the police force, I worked in uh, counterterrorism intelligence. Wow,
0: uh, but you are, what I know about you, you are missing another aspect of protection that is important to our troops abroad. Tell us about that experience. Yeah,
1: so in high school, um, Something led me to just want to join the military, and uh, there was no reason for me to do it. Uh, It was a time of peace, and then, of course, Desert Storm happened uh, shortly thereafter. But uh, it was uh, there was something in me that really cherished what our country's all about, and I I wanted to join the military, and so I, I went to a recruiting office, and... I said, well, let me try to find the most challenging branch of the service, so I joined the United States Marine Corps.
0: Wow, Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Then you joined, and how long were you a Marine?
1: So I, I did six years in the Marines, and uh, I had an interesting job. I was a nuclear biological chemical weapons specialist, which um, really can't, at the time, I didn't think I would be able to apply it to the civilian world, but uh, I was uh, mistaken. Uh, that That's a good skill set to have, and just the... What you're taught in the military, the discipline, the the pride, the the everything you learn in the Marines is something that you can carry into your professional life.
0: Well, you then transitioned from the Marines to the police force, but college must have been along the way.
1: It it was. So I came from, you know, humble means, I guess you could say. I, I was born in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, my father was a school teacher and a contractor, worked multiple jobs to support a wife and six children. Uh, my mom did not work at the time, so you know we never had a lot of means. Uh, so, but one thing my father did instill in us, because he was one of the first uh, people in his family to go to college, is college is important. So, um, I did start to chip away at going to college when I was on the police force. I knew it was very important. So I, you know, started out. I went and got a bachelor's degree, and I enjoyed it. And I wanted to expand into that, so I went and got a couple more master's degrees. And later on, I went back and got my doctorate degree where I started researching uh, homeland security.
0: Tell us about that. What did you do with it? Obviously teach, but what else led to what you do now? And I want to hold that for just a second. Let's talk about that evolution.
1: So in 2006, I was still active on the police force. I was a detective, and um, I I was educated. I went to school, and while I was watching others work overtime, direct traffic in the rain for time and a half, I thought, well, why don't I use my skill set and my protective instinct to teach others how to be safe? So I started a, a consultancy practice. It was small at the time, and I started out consulting uh, houses of worship, uh, schools, and, you know, write their emergency plans and train them to be better prepared. And I did that, you know, towards the end of my police career as I was, you know, getting ready to retire. I also took a position as a lecturer at a local college um, where I taught in the Homeland Security program. So I was um, that's kind of kind of what led me to where I am today, which things evolved as you know.
0: And did the consultancy practice, just so we can get a sense of time and place, where does Sandy hook? Because I see that in the Northeast as a pivotal moment, where did where did that fit in? I think I
1: should just backtrack a little bit and explain to your listeners how i know that i'm privileged to know that i'm actually living my life's purpose. You know, we in life people in general, we do things, we work in careers and we we all have different purposes or vocations. I'm lucky because i know my purpose and i'm going to tell you how that happened. I'll, I'll give you two real good examples that'll probably, you know, shed light on this. In 2004, i became a father. My daughter was born. Now, how does that bring out the protective instinct in me? Well, just like I didn't understand why I've always wanted to be a police officer, I couldn't understand. When my daughter was born, it's, the only way I could describe it is there was like a fountain of unexplainable love went off inside my body, and I became this super protective person. My wife will tell you, I, when my daughter was an infant, I was holding her constantly. I used to get up three, four times a night, even in between bottle feeds, and I used to just go over to her crib and put my hand on her chest, and And I was just, there was something really about being a father that changed me, and it made me realize, wow, I need to protect my daughter, and I ended up having two more children, and I have a wife, so I was a very protective person, and then something happened uh, in 2013, which I would say would be the point where it brought me to realize my life's purpose. I was driving in my car, and I heard a radio. It could have even been this station. I heard a radio. I heard it come over the radio um, that there was uh, police were responding to an elementary school in in Newtown, Connecticut, and there were reported several fatalities of very young children. And I gotta tell you, Chuck, it was as though a a knife went into my heart. I I became physically sick thinking about the trauma that these families are gonna experience. And, And at the time, at that time, my third and youngest was a kindergartner, and then I had one in second and one in third grade. And I gotta tell you, even though I knew that this was an isolated incident, I turned my car, I drove to their elementary school. As soon as I walked in, the receptionist knew why I was there, I said, listen, I need to sign my kids out, and why, why did I take them? They were safe, they were safe in their school, it was 30 miles away from where this happened. But I wanted them around me, because I was just so upset by what I was hearing over the news. So I drove them home, and you know, they were playing in the living room and in their playroom, and I'm watching this horrific event unfold on the news. And I looked at my children, and I thought about my life, and I thought about what I do, and I thought about even the consulting practice I had, and I said to myself, my job is to protect the sheep from the wolves. The most vulnerable sheep are the children, and that was that was the pivoting point. Now, the challenge, though, here's where things got challenging: is I was limited in scope on how I could do that. How, and I was offered many opportunities. I was offered um, large salary jobs, but I always felt, in a way, stifled or or almost um, trapped to one organization. I wanted to um, I don't want to say save the world, but I wanted to protect the sheep, all the sheep. How could I protect people? And I got thinking in my brain and I knew right then and there on that day, on that couch, I needed to do something different and take what I'm doing and and all my experience, all my research, everything I've learned, everything I've done, how do I bring it to a larger audience? And then it just came to me. I can't explain it. Um, Technology. We're we're in an interactive age of technology. And I thought, well, maybe there's something I can do in emergency management with with mobile applications. And I thought, well, what is a big vulnerability? What's one of the largest vulnerabilities that exist right now in its communication capabilities?
0: Let's hold that for just a second. You're listening to A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia, and our guest this evening is Matt Maraglia. Matt is a uh, security consultant, a college professor, a protector of the sheep. Matt, explained just before we did the station ID, sounds like there is a story of transformation about to occur, because you describe the situation that all of this, all of the events and activities, led you to a particular place for you to be able to take control of that life's purpose, the protection of the sheep but you wanted to do it in your own terms talk to us about the evolution of what you ultimately created
1: so my my consulting practice up to that point was dealing one on one with entities schools houses of worship and and really doing a wonderful job making them safer but i was limited we live in time and space i was limited to one day i would be here and one day i would be there and i knew i needed to do more but how how could i do that so i thought Well, why don't why don't I develop an app, some sort of app, in an area where there's vulnerabilities, and then I could sell or license? I ended up licensing this app um, to all these places that have what we would call sheep or people. And what's the name? Let's put it's uh, it's called Tap App Security was the name, and the reason I chose Tap App Security is it's touch alert. Protect the TAP. I knew this mobile app needed to be very simplistic and easy to use in emergency situations. What's most important during you know imminent threats and emergencies is to communicate instantly and horizontally with as many people as possible.
0: So, and is this are you describing an active shooter?
1: Uh, it could be an active shooter. So, if somebody walks into a school or a house of worship and they start shooting or they pull out a gun. We need to communicate to as many people as possible to protect themselves. Of course, we're gonna call 911, we're gonna have the police respond, but we know, I mean, I'll give you an example, active shooters. The FBI statistics will show that 70% of active shooter incidents in the United States are over in less than five minutes. So to just call 911 is inadequate. We see it, unfortunately, from time to time, we see what's happening. So I, um, now I'm not a developer. Here's what's ironic. Um, I'm not a developer, so I sought out the advice of somebody who is a um, one of the best software engineers I've ever met. I mean, he develops apps for Major League Baseball and large Fortune 100 companies. And I sat with him and I said, listen, I have this idea. This is what I want to do. And he goes, Matt, I can put you in 10,000 locations at the same time. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, everything you're telling me about what you want to do with your app and your... He goes, well, you're just what I was saying before. You're limited to day one, day two. Well, by having a mobile app, we can take that and now we can license it out to thousands of people and you can keep thousands of people safe at the same time. And I was like, I was excited. I was all in and I dove in. And then that's where some of the challenges were going to well, occur. If
0: I want to describe a situation and paint a scene here. When you and I talked about this a few years ago, when you were at the origin of the idea, you had a blank slate and then you were so excited communicating to me the idea, oh, my God, this is great. Who wouldn't buy this? A funny thing happened on the way to this, in this journey. Describe the nose along the way.
1: Yeah. So, Chuck, I, I am passionate. My life's purpose is protector. And I know how much this is needed. It's needed. So everybody said yes. So no, they did not. (laughs) I I was very upset, almost to the point where I couldn't understand. Don't you understand? This is, this is going to keep you safe. This is it's 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 you know the cost is so small compared to the benefit. Why why don't you? and, And I was getting no after no after no, and I'm like, and here's what happens when you get into the application technology field you start spending money and develop it is very expensive. And you start doing this and then you have to pull it back and you have to update. And next thing, you know, I was in financially very, very deep to a point where I could never even, um, you know, I hope my wife's not listening to this. (laughs) I can hope I, I was in deep enough where we're talking second mortgage. We're talking lines of credit. We're talking just to pay for development because I knew, I knew I had something that was critically important and I was, Failure is not an option. It's just not an option. So I was past the point of no return. I had already. I was all in. Um, I needed to make this work. And I'll, I'll tell you, what I did, Chuck, is I just grinded and grinded and failed and weaved and failed. And learned and along the and way? And learned. In fact, when we finally got the first entity, and ironically, it was a psychiatric school for disturbed youth that... Um, the, per- the, the, the CEO trusted me and I was so, it's almost like when you go into a deli and you see that dollar on the wall, it's like this, I have a purchase order for the first license I sold and I cherish that. And I've been in touch with that individual since, cause we're now in thousands of locations around the country. And it's, it's something where getting what we call success. And I don't even want to call myself success. Cause you could be successful today and you could fail tomorrow. It's constant. You got to constantly, um, Go up the mountain. See, with you, Chuck, you've climbed many mountains. One mountain's not enough, is it? Well, that's life. Just because you know we we have this idea that we're gonna we're gonna climb a mountain and everything, and we're gonna get to our success. But success is 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 multiple mountains, multiple climbs. And what I learned from you, Chuck, is one, you told me get used to people saying no. That was very difficult. Now I'm used to it. Okay. Two, um, you can only get to the top of the mountain one step at a time. So along the way. I am being taught, almost groomed in a way. I remember one instance a couple of years ago where there was this tech person at this company and they kept sending us emails and putting in tech support tickets and I was getting aggravated. I was—I had a board meeting with my, my development team and I said, I'm very aggravated by this. And they said, no, no, this is good. They're like, Matt, we want this information because we're gonna take what this individual's telling us and we're gonna make the app even better. And you know, I learned. I learned that no and changing things is not a bad thing.
0: Interesting how you learn to get others to yes. Matt, your story is one of adversity. It's one of obstacles. But it's one of using the core of what Dave Grossman explained, attentiveness, trustworthiness, protectiveness. That is in every fiber of your being.
1: It is. And I I didn't know it. It took me many years to realize it. Um, I will be the first one to sit here tonight and say, What's most important to me is is my, my wife and children and everything in my life centers around them. And it was through them and through my connection with my children and family that I actually realized my life's purpose. And now I'm I'm out there doing my best to protect millions of other children to families around this country.
0: And tell us now that you've faced all of this adversity and your company is well launched. Tell us about the company, not just Tap App, you, the individuals behind the the desire to be the protectors. What do you do?
1: Well, that that's a prerequisite. Anytime that I hire anyone, they they need to during the interview process um, establish to me that they have passion and they are doing this because they really believe in it. Right. I'm not interested in people that are interested in really protecting the sheep from the wolf. So mm-hmm. I, I seek out what Colonel Grossman calls, though, sheepdog, okay? Right. But we have a diverse group of individuals. We have developers and software engineers and everything that makes a company run, but it all works towards the same mission, and that is the mission is always to protect. Since the, the development of the TAP app solution, we have since... Um, it's, it's, it's been fun. We t- I just told you about all these different mountains. We are now, um, we've developed six additional emergency preparedness and security apps that we now license. Um, so it started with one and it has now turned into six. And it's just, it's fun. It's challenging. But I sleep every night knowing that I'm keeping people safe. And it really makes me feel good inside.
0: Well, it's also an interesting transformation, Matt, because when you reflect on your past, police officer, marine, college professor, you're now an entrepreneur. Is that a word you would have ascribed to yourself way back when, when you were walking the streets of Washington, D.C., protecting the sheep? No. In fact,
1: I mean, our company was, would be considered in today's terminology a SaaS company, a software as a service. It was something that wasn't even on my radar or thought of. So, no, to answer your question, it's... it's If you trust the process and you do the right thing, um, things work out in the end. I can't explain it. It just does.
0: Yeah. Well, you're talking about the combination of experience, which is the name you give to your mistakes, but also the intuition that it sounds like you have developed while everyone was telling you no, and you had to figure out how to get them to yes in order to adopt your methodology for the protection you learn along the way. So intuition Blended with your knowledge, blended with your protectiveness, they seem to be your core pillars. Chuck, I had someone tell me, and
1: I was very honored, and I don't say this to, to boast. They said, I've never met an individual that has the military and police and security experience and life experience coupled with the education and level of research and education coupled with the, you um, know, inno- innovative mindset that you have. And I, I, I was honored to be told that I was the first person this person met that had it all. And to be honest with you, it really helps sell the product. When I sit with a CEO or a rabbi of a, of a, you know, a Jewish community center or something, and I tell them, this is what we'd like to do. We'd like, um, you know, I walk the walk. I'm, I'm not just somebody who decided to get into this field. I, for many years, I was, I was, in this field, and this is what I did, so I know all about it. And now I have the best development team developing this, and now we're scaling
0: this out to thousands. Well, I think if there's any lesson here to our listeners, what you're describing, Matt, it doesn't appear on a resume. You really can't. You can put it on your website, but it, it people are going to feel what is in every fiber of your being that this isn't just talk. This isn't just hey, I have something I can sell you. This is who you are at the core of Marine police officer and protector.
1: It is Chuck. When I walk into a school, for example, and I look at these little children walking down these hallways, I literally consider as though they were my own. I want to protect them like they're my own.
0: Matt, in the time that we have left, this is wonderful lessons to our listeners that, you know, be be that change that you want to be in yourself that you want the world to see. It isn't just bright lights and shiny objects. It's what you walk inside that heart of yours every day. One of the patterns of this show, Matt, is we ask ourselves, what do we want our listeners to think? What do we want them to feel? And what do we want them to do when this episode is over? Let's examine that and leave our listeners with a call to action. So first, Matt. What do you want our listeners to think about your story of transformation?
1: Well, I'm going to speak to every leader, whether you're a rabbi, a a pastor of a church, a superintendent of a school, an owner of a business. And I want you to think of how you are protecting your business, your school, the people who come and go. Um, Really give it some thought, because we do live in challenging times, and it is the responsibility of every leader, even if their life's mission isn't that of protector it is their responsibility to think of the safety of everyone. And more than just checking off boxes, what, can they, what actionable things can they do to protect?
0: Um, and, and for those that are, and I, and I love the angle you're taking, let's alter that slightly for the next question. For those that are considering wanting to turn their passion into a profession, because that's exactly what you've described and all of the obstacles along the way, what do you want them to feel?
1: Well, I'm going to use the same word I would have used before, um, and I will always use: is do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Fear is a crippling, crippling feeling. It causes people not to try things, not to do things, not to say things, not to take that leap. Do not be afraid. Trust yourself. Surround yourself by good people. Learn. Um, be willing to fall and get down, but. Don't be afraid. That's what I want them to feel.
0: Well, that's good. And let, let, let's let's flip that, and we're, we're going to leave them with the, the last thought. We know we do not want them to fear. What do you want them to do with all of this?
1: So I don't want them to listen to this show tonight and say, well, that was really interesting, and then push it aside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a call to action to, you know, I have a statement I've coined. It's safety is the opposite of fear. So... Take whatever action necessary wherever you are in your life and whatever you do to make yourself safer and feel more comfortable. Because I'll tell you what, Chuck, we live in the United States of America. There are three things about this country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We need to protect and preserve that so every American can have life, so every American can have liberty so every American can pursue their happiness.
0: You have listened to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. Thank you very much for tuning in this evening. You have listened to lessons from Matt Moraglia, who will leave you with his life's purpose. And it's clear. Matt, leave them with that. My life's purpose is clear. I'm
1: here to protect the sheep from the wolves. And we hope
0: that everyone listening gets to live their life's purpose as well. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. Matt, thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you, Chuck.